Hey, what's going on, everybody? This your boy, Jarrell Mason, a.k.a. J. Mason. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me, I have no stranger to the podcast, my brother from another of the Stop, Look, and Listen podcast, LaTroy Garner. LaTroy, thank you for coming back on to Beyond the Album Cover, bro. Oh, man. I'm, I'm totally... Um... Thankful as always to have a sit down conversation with my brother Jarrell. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How's life treating you these days, man? Just adjusting to married life, man. You didn't tell me it was so difficult. <laughs> hey, man, I, I try. I try to tell you. Well, Prince Father tried to tell him in proper reign, don't get married. But marriage is a great thing. Wife and I, we just celebrated seven years. But congrats to you and the new missus. And wish you guys very happy success in your new chapter of married life. But make sure that you turned in your player's card for the I'm off the market card. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, first off, congrats to you for seven years, you and the missus. Um, it seems like every day there is a new there's something new that I learned about my wife. And we've only been married for three months. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure what to expect these next six and a half years uh, to come. But yeah, the player card is turned in, even though from what I hear, when you have a ring on your finger, um, a lot of times that attracts women even more. Like they they see that ring and it's like a magnet. So I'm still going to stay strong. You know, I'm committed to this and just looking forward to starting my family. Yeah, it's definitely all sales final. But the one thing I will say is enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey, and just know that you have a partner for life because, you know, when they say for sickness and health, for richer and for poor, for death do us part, that's what they meant. Yep. Yep. You take, the, take those words seriously. And, you know, that's what me and my wife, we're committed to that. We're committed to each other. And, you know, I'm marrying a Nigerian, so I've been, I received a lot of threats. So if I mess up, <laughs> they say they're coming for me, the family. So I'm going to. I'm going to behave myself. Mm -hmm. Now, since you said that uh, you married into a Nigerian family, I'm sure during the ceremony, was there a lot of Afro beats that was being played? Well, we had two weddings. So Friday night was the Nigerian wedding. I had to dress up, uh, had my my red and gold uh, Agbada on with the hat. Um, we marched in. So I had, a, I had a large wedding party. It was... Uh, 12 groomsmen and of course we're all scattered around you know the country so we all didn't get together until the day of the wedding and we started trying to choreograph some dance moves and then the MC sort of made it to where we had to improvise because I was going to be in the middle of the group and they were going to come in we all were going to do our dance and then they were going to uh, part part the sea so I could have my little solo moment but instead, they made me come out first. So I just got back in the club mode and did my thing. But yeah, it was, we had uh, four hours of nothing but Afro beats. Me and my wife, we uh, put together the playlist. Uh, her, her parents, they wanted some of the older, older tracks that were like 20 minutes long. So we had to figure out how to trim that down significantly. But of course, we, we got into all of the, you know, the recent uh Afrobeats classics your burner your whiz um you know just everybody that's you know tearing it up on the Afrobeat scene at the moment right and what's your take on Afrobeats which is pretty much the African version of their take of pop R&B rap in the U.S. and just adding their own cultural flavor to it I mean, I, I'm always a fan of, of feel-good music, like the essence as far as um, taking us taking us to a place of, um, of of peace and serenity. I'm I'm always a fan of that. That's why I'm that's why I love uh, reggae dance hall for the most part. It's just like it's an escape from from what we hear in America with a lot of uh, hip hop, especially. So I, I just like being in the mindset of being in a tropical location with everyone speaking and smiling and, you know, having tropical drinks. So when I, when I think of Afrobeats, I get that. And eventually, 
Um, it's, it's in the plans for us to take a trip, me and my wife, to Nigeria. She wants to have a second wedding there uh, for our anniversary. So that would be my first time touching, you know, stepping foot on the motherland. So I'm looking forward to that. But um, I, I think it's long overdue for Afrobeats to go mainstream. Right. So you think it'll have the same effect in the States like K-pop? Ooh. Um, I think it's it's starting it's starting to trend that way. Um, I've, I've been hearing about how record companies they've been sort of shying away from signing hip hop artists because now their focus is on Afrobeats. So as these major labels continue to turn their attention to it, um, I just think the sky's the limit. Right. And the good thing now with the internet, with the world being so much smaller and everybody embracing of differences is that you remember how back in the day when the international act would get signed to a U.S. label, they have to, they would have to do an Americanized version of an album to appeal to the U.S. market. Now, that's not necessarily the case because Bad Bunny pretty much released albums in straight Spanish, BTS albums straight in uh Korean, you got Twice and all the other groups from the K-pop phenomenon. So it's definitely beautiful to see everybody saying, no, I'm not going to assimilate my culture, my music to fit your taste. You take it as it is. Yeah, exactly. And and me being based in Miami now, you know, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, Bad Bunny and um, like Latin, Latin infused music. And like, of course, I'm I'm not understanding what what they're saying, but just the the rhythm is just captivating to the point where, um, yeah, you're looking at at beautiful women. You got the palm trees in the background, and and you know the music is pulsating, and like there's no way you can you cannot feel it, feel that heart thumping, and and yeah, I I love I love it. I love all of it. Right. And speaking of Miami, you mentioned how with the big Hispanic population down there, you have reggaeton, a lot of Latinx who are booming. You could pretty much make a good living torn in certain demographics where you have your concentrated demographic to where you could be able to make good money and do a whole tour within a certain region. Now, seeing how when the Latin pop explosion happened in the late 90s, early 2000s, then with the birth of reggaeton, everything that came after that, you're seeing, like a, like you were mentioning, Bad Bunny, we had Daddy Yankee, Luis Fonzi, J Balvin. We could go down the list of all the acts that came out in the last two, three decades that benefited from that explosion and even further back with Gloria Stefan, um, Tito Puente, uh, and the list goes on and on all the acts that paved the way for the Latin boom. Oh, yeah. And I mean, shout out to Daddy Yankee. He made a major announcement recently as far as saying he's transitioning into um, faith, faith-based <laughs> um, music. So shout outs to him. You know, he's been, like you said, he's been in the game for, for 20 years because it's been, what, like 2004, 2005? When reggaeton really exploded. Mm. Yeah, so maybe we'll get a Daddy Yankee and Lecrae collab. <laughs> I, I mean, I would, like I said, I'm sure the vibe is still going to be there. He's still going to, like that hit making ability isn't going to cease. Um, even like I heard, which I'm I'm sort of transitioning somewhat, um, Mace, he dropped, uh, 50 Cent had posted a freestyle of him recently where uh, he was spitting probably harder than ever. Um, you know, obviously tied to everything going on with Diddy at the moment. But, I mean, just because, you know, someone someone becomes religious and they sort of try to, well, they try to deviate from the content they were once making, I don't think it's going to impact them creatively. They're still going to put out the heat. Yeah, so he channeled Murder Mace. And if you don't know, oh, yeah. definitely look that up. Of course, you know the history between Mace, Cameron, Go Up Together, Rap Crew, and all of that. And they got their sports show on and popping. Now, you mentioned Diddy and everything that's going on and how everything is 
coming to light with, you know, what's been going on behind the scenes and what's your take on now that receipts for industry figures have been brought up and that people are now starting to say, okay, we're going to take this seriously and not brush it off and really listen and respect the victims. Yeah. Um, like we talked about on the good old boys, we obviously broke down the 35 pages in um, the civil suit that Cassie um, put out. And it, it was just, it was a lot of behavior that honestly, I'm not surprised. I think that um, it's a systemic issue, not only the music business or entertainment. I think a lot of, in a lot of cases, that's just something that, um, you know, back in that era that men, men did like they, they've, they've, they felt zero guilt when it came to going to a high school or going to a mall or, you know, even going to a store and seeing, seeing someone working a drive through or, you know, being their restaurant server and, you know, being attractive and hollering. And even if they're, they're clearly under the age, they're still going to pursue it. Like I know that it was mentioned with Tyga, he was red shirting Kylie Jenner per se, but um, I just, I just think that it was something that everyone got away with. And um, now we're in a day and age with the me too movement where, you know, all those receipts are being cashed and, you know, deservedly. So, um, you know, the, the take advantage of these young girls, you know, when they're 15, 16, 17, 18, you know, trying to get their career off the ground and you're a powerful mogul or um, you're a powerful producer. Um, yeah, I just, I just think it's, it's just nasty and disgusting. And, you know, R. Kelly wasn't the only one four or five years ago when, when, when his judgment day came and did he won't be the last one after this situation runs dry. It's, you know, it's just a long line of behavior that, you know, needs to be corrected. Yeah. It's like the dam has broke and everybody that was participating in that is going to get their comeuppance. Cause when you think about it now, how back then probably a lot of underage girls were going backstage to some of these shows and, ID probably wasn't getting checked to make sure that they were of age. And then when you think about some of the songs back in the day that now would be clearly inappropriate, like BDP 13 and Good, uh, Ronnie's mm -hmm. rap verse on Do Me, um, Tony, Tony, Tony's James 17. Yep. Um, high Five, Just Can't Handle It, talking about I was only 16, she was 25. So pretty much mm -hmm. grooming. So it's just pretty much, with, like you said, where the day and age where that type of behavior would not be tolerated. It, it was not tolerated then, but it's just now we just got a bigger light on it and more people are aware and paying attention. And the crazy thing is, so say like, if I'm 16 or 17 and you know, like you said, a, a grown woman that's 25 is interested in me. Like we would get saluted for saying that we have a 25 year old on our resume when we're 16 or 17. Um, it's, it's obviously frowned upon when it's the other way around. So there's a, there's a huge double standard there. I'm not sure if, I mean, say like when I'm 17 and um, I'm trying to think of someone that's about seven or eight years older than me. Um, random name so say like a, um like a mariah carey just off the top of my head a mariah carey was interested in in little old latroy from Beaufort, south carolina you know i'm gonna be on top of the world and i'm gonna probably tell everybody so i mean that's that's why when when the roles reverse like when a gloria gloria velez is you know dating uh famous R&B singer, of course, all of that's going to come out. So I just think adults need to be more uh, cognizant of their, their behavior. And, you know, like, why would you risk that? Why would you risk one, one night over your hard work, building your career, 
Like it's not worth it to me. There's right. plenty of women. Yep, there's plenty of women out there that is of your age. And of course, Aaron Hall, Don't Be Afraid is another song you definitely listen to differently now, knowing the backstory behind behind that record. And it's it's even I'm uncomfortable even mentioning their names. That's why I, that's why I just said a famous R and B singer because it's like it's just we love the songs. Like I love I love Don't Be Afraid. I have the ju the Juice soundtrack, uh, the production on it. I love the song, but it's just like oh yeah yeah <laughs> the man. lyrics on it is just like he's he's incriminating himself. Yeah, definitely um, cringeworthy and especially with the guy from Chicago. His music, I definitely, you know, can't listen to, especially after everything that's came to light and how I'm glad now that he finally got served just as he's under the jail for what he did and that the women who were victims of him can now start to piece their lives back together slowly but surely and to, you know, try to move forward based on the trauma, you know, that it went through with him, you know? Yeah. And it, it's still something that I, I can't fully understand is like, there's a lot of adults around these artists. Like, like there's no way that he secretly has access to high school girls without going through security or even, um, you know, people like managers and publicists that are around him. Like all of these people are just as guilty. Like, how can you just, you know, keep your mouth shut for all of these years? Bodyguards, like you, like you're just as guilty as him. Even though you didn't physically commit the act, you're seeing a, a crime being committed. You know, like to me, that's just there's no excuse for it. Right, and with this transition, we're going on the lighter side of things. Uh, intro, they just released a documentary called Intro Music Rhymes and Life on the Indiflix YouTube page. And there's pretty much a documentary showing, you know, their rise and their end, which was cut short due to the untimely death of the late Kenny Green. And uh, what was your take on Intro and how, at least for me, I feel that they're one of the most underrated R&B groups come out within the last 30 years. I mean, their cover of Ribbon in the Sky by Stevie Wonder, one of the best Stevie Wonder covers I've heard. Mm -hmm. I mean, shouts to Buddy and Jeff and rest in peace to, to Kenny. Yeah, um, yeah. When when they released that first album, I was, I was all up on it with Come Inside and like you said, Ribbon in the Sky and uh, funny, funny how time flies on the second album. Um, it was just hits to me. It, it just represented that sound. But Kenny just had a way with his songwriting ability that um, he just expressed himself in this unique way. And of course, it rubbed off on the artists that they worked with. You know, Mary and um, they worked with SWV as well, didn't they? Um, I believe so because they were signed through Untouchable Untouchables. Shout out to DJ Eddie F and mm -hmm. that whole camp with as producers and songwriters. And in turn for them being signed to Untouchables as producers and songwriters, that they were to get a deal at a major label, and that's how they ended up getting their deal with Atlantic. So there was already a buzz with intro because. There were already songs on the radio, all the stuff they did for Mary, like Reminisce, No No Limit, You Don't Have to Worry. So the industry was ready for intro. And once they hit, they hit strong and hard with the debut album. Yeah. And, and I'm and I'm not sure why the second album didn't, you know, receive as much attention, you know. And that's something that's, that always seems to be the case with the the music industry. It's like you have a group that you know, put out amazing work on their debut, had like four four or five hits on it. And then you wait a few years and then they drop the second album and like the marketing isn't there. You know, the, the first single gets a little bit of buzz and then the rest of the album, for the most part, kind of just disappears. And, you know... I, I just feel like there was there was a lot more gas in the tank when it came to intro. 
Uh, I know that that Kenny, he he was um he worked with Cam and he uh he did some work with Ashanti as well before she she signed with uh, Murder Inc. But um intro in my mind are legends and Jeff and, and Buddy should still be be in, in a studio producing for other artists. Right. I definitely agree. I had a chance to interview Buddy and uh, he had told me that originally Let Me Be The One was supposed to go on what's the 411 for Mary J. But what ended up happening was, I believe they had already turned the album into Uptown MCA. And once that was done, they decided, hey, let's go ahead and let's cut it on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, what's the 411? Which is, this is something that we're we're going to do here with forecast media we're going to probably do something with five mic r&b albums it's still an idea that's dangling in my head how we would execute it and i definitely want you to be a part of it because you know as i've said plenty of times you're the you're the encyclopedia uh, you know everything so we're gonna we definitely want you on but i i think it'll be a process where we have like four or five people just talking about these five Mike R&B albums and and why it stood the test of time, their favorite tracks on it. Um, and then maybe like where the artists went from there, whether they were able to duplicate that success or uh, in some cases, like, like D'Angelo have to take like a 10 year hiatus, you know, between releasing something else. So that's, that's something that I definitely want you to be a part of. Oh, yeah, for sure. We'll definitely talk more offline about that. Now, with hip-hop being in its 50th year this year, it feels like it's ending 2023 with a bang. We're taping this as of December the 11th. Last night on December the 10th, they aired Grammy's Salute to 50 Years of Hip-Hop, which was curated by Questlove, and it ended up being a big celebration of hip-hop from golden era to present day. And for the first time in decades, really, I believe, yeah, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince on stage together. Now, originally, Questlove wanted to do that for the Grammys Hip Hop Medley back in February. But Will was, I believe, down in Miami filming Bad Boys 4 and couldn't get off set in time in order to do the tribute. So definitely better late than never. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, salute to Questlove and the Grammys for um, their part in uh, celebrating 50 years of hip hop. I know that, uh, what was it, like a 15 minute set during the Grammys this past year where they <laughs> pretty much brought out a who's who of performers, but a lot of people felt left out and, um, you know, the, the BET Awards and MTV Awards and, you know, Nas, you know, at um, Yankee Stadium and plenty of other celebrations. They tried to uh, fill in the blanks. But I think the show last, last night, which I wasn't able to see, I think uh, having Will and Jeff on together is, you know, they're forever tied to the Grammys. They're the, you know, the first <laughs> hip hop artist, rap artist to win a Grammy. So to me, that was the platform that should have been able to uh, get Will and Jeff together to perform. Right. And to see how it came full circle to where when the Grammys first recognized rap, a lot of them boycotted because it wasn't televised. It was on the pre-TV version of the show. To now the Grammy say, oh, we got to honor, celebrate this genre of music that started as nothing, became something, and it's the world's most listened to genre of music to where when you go to any foreign country, most don't know English, but they'll mm. know a 50 Cent, Drake, J. Cole, or a Migos record. Right. Yeah, so... Art Basel just took place here in Miami over the weekend, and I was able to um, attend um, a talk by Lenny S., who works for Rock Nation. He's been tied to Jay-Z's hip for 30 years almost. And along with the talk, there was an exhibit on the 50 Years of Hip Hop, and then they also had a graffiti um, exhibit next to it. 
So I was able to just walk around and, you know, just see so much rich history of the culture over the last 50 years and, you know, take a lot of pictures and, you know, just marvel at, you know, where this, this culture has come from and where it's headed next. And it's just, it's just mind blowing that, you know, there's something that even me as a kid, you know, seven, eight years old, listening to uh, Big Daddy Kane and Run DMC and um, Special Ed and Salt and Pepper um, and NWA, stuff like that, you know, where it is now to where a lot of the artists are just, you know, their own entities. Like you can, you have hip hop that, you know, hip hop artists that are politicians. You have hip hop artists that, you know, have part ownership in in uh, sports franchises. You have them, you know, launching headphones or having their own sports shows. It's just, it's just unbelievable where where we've come from. And then, you know, just seeing seeing how it is embraced around the world. Like if you're a little kid in your bedroom writing raps in a notebook and then eventually you can hear your song on the radio back then, that was the accomplishment. That, that was a sign that I made it. Now it's like, that's nothing. It's, it's like hearing your song or hearing people knowing your songs in Australia or um, in China and Japan you know, or seeing billions of streams in, in in like less than no time. Like it's crazy to me. And just how these artists from all over the world, what they're bringing to the culture, you know, like the biggest rapper in the world is from Canada. Or like you said, like we were saying earlier, how, um, you know, Afrobeats is, you know, it, it uses some of hip hop. It infuses some of hip hop into, um, you know the content and it's it's just crazy it's just god bless you cool hurt you know mm -hmm. and we also got to give credit to those that preceded cool hurt that should be recognized and mentioned as also the forefathers of hip-hop like dj hollywood dj eddie chiba dj jones uh dj flowers disco twins and the other DJs that were doing their thing prior to her. But of course, once her started, it was like the big bang where right. he's the one that pretty much helped spearhead the launch of hip hop. And then of course, what would later to come with rappers delight and how Sylvia Robinson, a woman, get this now, a woman back in the late seventies on Sugar Hill records put out, the first commercial rap record, and that's Rappers Delight and Sugar Hill Records, based out of Jersey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like like we were saying, the way that the baton has just been passed, and it just becomes more and more contagious, and um, and everyone just you know contributes their their part to continuing to grow this. It's it's just something that. I never envisioned it was just like I was in my bedroom watching Rap City and Yo MTV Raps and recording songs, you know, putting a little tape recorder to the TV speaker. And whenever a song that I went, wanted on my tape came on, I'm hitting play and record at the same time. And and then listening to the songs over and over afterwards, you know, to now where you know, I can just basically get it on my phone instantaneously. I mean, it's just, I just, I'm just speechless at it, at it all, you know, at where, you know, where we've come from and, and I just, I don't know, I don't know who I would be without it. It's, it's my identity. Like when I wake up, I exude hip hop. Like, even if I'm, you know, I work for a tech company, even when I'm, you know, in Silicon Valley and, you know, being around all of these people that creatively um, are shaping the world we live in, I'm still going to exude hip hop. And when I'm in, when I'm like in a meeting, it's 
I'm going to speak with hip hop vernacular, you know, to a certain extent. It's just, it's just the fabric of who I am. Right. There's generations of us that came up on hip hop. And I think we can also say that it's because of hip hop that President Obama got elected in the office. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he rep, he rep Jay-Z and he rep uh, um, a lot of the Chicago rappers to the fullest. And I mean, he spoke like the way he would, his, his movements, like you could just tell that if he wasn't a politician, he would, he would be in the middle of a cipher. He might've had ciphers going on in the white house and we didn't know about it between the basketball games. Mm -hmm. so, Freestyle oh, yeah. Friday in the over office. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you had to be there for that one. If you don't know about Freestyle Fridays and one of Sisters Park, it was a movement and it was a time to be alive. I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. And uh, did you see the Rap City documentary? Yeah, yeah, of course. What's your take on that? Oh, man. I just, I think that, especially when they moved from D.C. to New York, like it definitely um, kind of took the sting out of, uh, what Rap City was like. Tigger, Tigger kept it going to the point where, yeah, we want to see who's going to be in the basement. But for me, like my favorite era was was Les and, and Joe Claire. Like to me, uh, they just had the perfect chemistry. Of course, I was in love with with Big Les, and we had her on on um, the Good Old Boys back in the day. So shout outs to Les, but. That was just my favorite era because Joe Claire could freestyle. He he had the um, comedic chops. Les, you know, was a choreographer and dancer, and she knew everyone. Um, to me, that just that just repped hip hop to the fullest. And and of course, they had everyone on on there from the East Coast to the West Coast, you know, to down in Jamaica. Like there was there was no discrimination. Um, I think. I think once uh, the time with Tigger ended and they they started recycling, well started cycling out. I think it was uh, Mad Links and um, a few of the other hosts. It just it just seemed forced. It's like we're doing this because it's been around for for over a decade. But uh, like they were saying in the documentary, all of the big names wanted to go on one hundred six and Park. And I think part of it was because it was a live show. It was based there in New York City. So it was easy for the artists to come on that show versus, you know, heading to the basement. And I think the time that it came on, didn't it come on like 4.30? So that was when, well, it came on at what, 6 o'clock or 4.30? Uh, I think Bap City came on at 4 or 4.30 because 106 yeah. came on at 6. Six. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, that was a time when kids are home from school. They probably knocked out their homework and they just want to sit and watch TV. So that was, that was a perfect time programming wise for that show. 430, you know, a lot of times you're, you're just getting home and you got to knock out your homework. So you're not really able to catch Rap City all the time. Mm, because if you think about it, when 106 in part launched in 2000, it was pretty much BT's take on, hey, this is what TRL is doing. Let's do our own version of TRL. And that was 106. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, TRL with Carson, they were getting, you know, all of the boy bands and in your Christina's and Britney's and, um, you know, some of the some of the rock groups that were big at the time, like your your uh, Green Days and um you know Travis Barker's group. Blink 182. Blink 182, yeah. So groups like that, they were big during that time. And you know, they 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 mixed in Eminem, of course, and and DMX and um some of the major artists in the urban world at the time as well, but I mean, that was just an explosion within itself was was TRL. I think that was that was like the live music show that, you know, brought that ushered in the the millennium. Right. Because if you go back and look at TRL, it was really one of the first early shows to really 
have big fan inter interaction going to mtv.com to vote call in the line to vote on your favorite record posting your comments on why you want this video so it was social media before social media yeah and i wonder could that work today like could we do a show like that today and i had esteban serrano on the show um about six months ago he's a producer uh for for yo mtv raps and he he worked with trl back in the day but i mean i just wonder if if that's something that we have the space for or is it you know TikTok and uh social media is just a monster that that can't be be tamed at the moment um, I think social media is just a different animal and kids consume differently because they're used to everything coming at them in bite-sized bits, no less than 30 seconds. So it's going to be hard to keep this young generation's attention for, say, less than a minute unless it's packaged in a way to where you get your clip here, boom, boom, boom. Almost had to be like where the show would be. You know, remember how when they wouldn't show the whole video, they'll show maybe one or two minutes and then give a little quick sound bite and then go on to the next. It'll probably have to be like that for the whole show based on consumption habits of today's demographic of teens. Right. Yeah, kind of like um doing like the like those 60 second um like 60 second bits, 60 second commercials, like maybe having the artist introduce it and, you know, cut in for those 60 seconds. And then afterwards, just um, talk about, talk about the video where they can find it, promote it, and then move on to the next one. So yeah, like you said, everything's so fast paced. We have a short attention span. So yeah, I don't, I definitely don't, I definitely agree with you. I don't see it, you know, being able to, them being able to recapture that magic again. Yeah, that was definitely lightning in the bottle and how Soul Train was lightning in the bottle when it debuted in 71, how it was really the first show that catered towards African-Americans showcasing our style, our dance, our culture to the mainstream. Started off in seven cities and then ended up spawning worldwide success and the Soul Train Music Awards, Lady of Soul Awards, and how... Don Cornelius was pretty much smart to where I'm going to take this regional dance show that started in Chicago, take it mainstream, and it ended up becoming to where it's still the most influential show in the world and still is the hippest trip in America. Now, I think Soul Train could work today. Now, I, I think that, I think people... People do have a craving for live performances, you know, so I could see Soul Train working today. But yeah, like you said, Saturday, Saturday afternoons, and I, you you couldn't wait to see who was going to be be on be on Soul Train, see who's going to be talking to Don Cornelius and um, seeing if you could figure out what was on the scramble board and like picking up the dances from the Soul Train line and and immediately after the show, trying to duplicate it yourself. Like that was something that was part of my wedding. I had to have a Soul Train line for my wedding. You know, it was necessary. But um, I think that like so many careers spawned from just, just that platform and um, I wish they would bring it back. I think due to the success of the Soul Train Awards, we can have we can we can have Soul Train. It might not be a I'm not sure if it's a weekly show, but maybe like you know quarterly where we can get it like specials because I just don't know if there's enough artists that um, would render consistent uh, listeners well viewership. But we, we need it, right. I feel. Right, because you also got to think about it, too. Back in the 70s, 80s, and even when we were growing up in the 90s, how it was rare to see urban acts on mainstream shows and mainstream publications and how, mm -hmm. I say, the tide turned, I want to say around 92, 93. Because this is right around the time when hip-hop, at least in my opinion, 
really started to explode pop wise because you know we had right. it came out in 92 doggy style came out a year later in 93 by snoop tupac and then a lot of the records that were in the top 10 top 20 on billboard at the time a lot of them were r&b records mm-hmm. you know so that's where i think mainstream america started to see like okay this is you know something that we got to take seriously and you know, if we want to get this core section, then we got to make sure to book these acts on our shows. So by the time nine, late 93, 94 hits, it doesn't really have that same pop like it did years prior when a certain act will go on Arsenio because you knew that was the only time that you were going to be able to see him because they weren't going to get on Carson, Leno, or Letterman. Yeah. Um yeah, like you said, the there were fewer uh, platforms where these artists could go on and you know be showcased. Now there's a million million different avenues and even their own platforms that they could utilize. I I was um talking to you know my partner in crime Mario about how um like hip hop interviews like they're they're dead and I in a way I feel like podcasts have killed it because now you know everyone's doing podcasts they're all interviewing the same artists to the point where like we've heard this story before we've we've seen a fat Joe on a million podcasts we've seen um seen them interview all of them interview Shaq uh, we've seen like we've just seen everyone everywhere to the point where it's not like special the way the breakfast club was getting their interviews over the first six, seven years. Like now they have a lot of different places they can go, which is good. But like I was saying for us, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, I feel like been a, been a death now of sorts. And because a lot of them you know, aren't necessarily, uh, you know, have that journalistic background, but, you know, they're going to go on shows with people they're comfortable with. And a lot of times it's some of their fellow rap friends. Yeah, it feels like the exclusive interview is dead. Yeah. Yeah, that is long gone. That is, (laughs) you know, that is rotting and decaying. And um, I think, but I think that's, that's a good thing because we want our we want our uh, favorite entertainers to you know have a a second or third childhood. I Nori was one of my favorite rappers back in the late '90s, and you know he had a good run, and I'm glad that he figured out like this is how I can you know sustain sustain my career. This is. This is something that I'm going to take seriously and provide an opportunity to some of these guys that haven't been heard from in years, you know, to to share their story in long form. So I I love it as a fan, but I'm just saying it just seems like it's, it's killing it because, you know, we're running out of people to interview. The, the pool is shallow now. Right, it's definitely a straight direct to consumer model. How back in the day you had that buffer, whether it would be through a magazine, a fan club, or a certain journalist. Now, with the internet, the middleman is completely cut out the picture, and you can go straight mm-hmm. to your fans and you get to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yep, now I want to get your take on uh, May the Lord Watch, it's the documentary that just dropped about our little brother. Did you get a chance to check that out? Yep, I just watched it a couple nights ago, uh, um, because I I had to wait until I had had some uh, free time and I could just fully watch it. And um, some of it I can I can vouch for, like living in the triangle for seventeen years, and some of it is like I'm not sure if all of it was was accurate, but. Yeah, I love I love the group. I love them all individually and collectively. Um, they 
they basically embodied what a lot of us, you know, kids growing up in the South, you know, that went to college, but still love East Coast hip hop or, you know, hip hop with a message, you know, the backpacker type um, movement. They rep they embodied that and they they um they took what their big brothers, because that's what what they were talking about in the interview. I mean in the documentary Fonte was saying that if there was a concert with um these four or five acts and then us, like what would we be be called? And you know, him and ninth, they were they were you know, throwing out names and said little brother. If we were doing a show with um a tribe called Quest and you know Slum Village and um De La Soul and a few others, if we're on that bill, what would we be called? And little brother was it. And um they just embodied the essence. They took like nine took um you know, the boom bap and sample elements that, you know, Pete Rock and Primo, you know, mastered and he he put his own touch on it. And, you know, Fonte, who's one of the most talented artists in the industry as far as being able to rap and sing, who Drake looked up to, you know, and then you you had the underdog. You had the underdog, Big Pooh, who um like he said, he couldn't, he didn't feel like he was on, on par with Fonte and Shondon at first, but yeah, he worked hard. And to me, he was the one that embodied little brother more than anybody. Because that's what, that's what a little brother is. A little brother is someone that, you know, they're looking up to people that, that they idolize and their dream is to be on par or, or exceed you know, the person that they idolize. And I think that's what Little Brother accomplished. Uh, and they did it right from our backyard. I was I was at many shows at Cat's Cradle in Carborough, North Carolina, because I live like two minutes away. And, and just going to the shows and being able to interact with the fellas, like, I mean, it was, it was always love. Yeah, and if you think about Little Brother, they definitely came out when social media was in its infancy. This is back when everybody was still on message boards and social media was still brand new. Facebook back then was called The Facebook, and it was only for college students. That's how old you know you are. But I think had they would have dropped the listening and the minstrel show, let's say maybe three to four years later, then I think they probably would have had a commercial success that they should have had. Yeah. Um, so that would be like 2008, 2009. Yeah, because uh, Listening came out in 03 and Minstrel Show, I believe, came out in 05. Yeah, so, and that was 2008, 2009. Yeah, I think especially Minstrel Show, I I think if if the listening was released earlier, I think that would have been more successful. If it was um say like 2001, I think I think during that time when you still had the labels throwing crazy budgets towards videos and and hip hop in general, I think I think they would have capitalized cuz that was when the roots, the roots was going platinum, you know, back then. Like pretty much everybody was going platinum. So I think they would have been able to, you know, capitalize on that, on that as well. Um, I I did like, I love the gangster grills that, he, that they did with drama though. I think, I think that was, that was pivotal because like they said in the documentary, drama was used to um, doing Gangsta Grills with Wayne and Jeezy and Gucci and, you know, all of the mainstream Southern artists that, you know, for him to give them that look, I, I was, I was happy. I still have it. I still have it in my collection. Like um, a few of the tracks on there, it's like my favorite little brother songs, like um, the flash and flare joint. Like that's my favorite little brother song. 
and it was on the gangster girls. Yeah, because there's always been a preconception that, you know, conscious rappers are not real spitters. But like you said, once they got that stamp from DJ Drama and the Gangster Girls mixtape, they're like, okay, you know, we definitely got to take these guys more seriously. And uh, did you happen to catch Drez's documentary that dropped on Paramount Plus? Drez from Black Sheep? So I don't, I don't have Paramount Plus, so I guess I'm missing out because... I still need to see that one. I still need to see the Millie Vanilli. And there's another documentary on there that I think I need to check out. Is the Little Richard one on there? Um, Little Richard, that's on Max. And um, Paramount Plus, they just released a documentary about the history of Yacht Rock, a.k.a. Soft Rock. Uh, I think it's called Sometimes When We Touch, something like that. Uh -huh. But um, the Millie Vanilli doc was really good. The Drez documentary, Black Sheep, was really good. It's pretty much talking about how Drez had gotten some of the last beats produced by Jay Dilla before he mm -hmm. passed away and how he was um putting together an album with those last instrumentals. And the crazy North Carolina collection between Drez and North Carolina is that his folks were originally from uh, Sanford, North right. Carolina, and then they ended up relocating up north to New York like most folks did back in the day during the Great Migration where they'll relocate from the south to the north or whatever other region of the country they, they were relocating to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Drez is good people as well. We had him on the good old boys back in the day. So, I mean, yeah, he's he's good people. So, shout outs to him. You know, shout outs to Black Sheep and the Native Tongues movement. You know, you y'all birth us. Like, I'm I'm a huge De La fan. I had my my medallion, you know, just <laughs> I was in the in the concert at the concert at Neighborhood Theater in Charlotte. That was my, one of my first hip hop concerts was seeing De La. And, um, you know, they gave me the microphone while while they were uh, performing me, myself and I. And he was like, um, they were like, sing that shit, sing that shit. And I sung the hook. And then I was trying to get the rest of the crowd involved. And then then I had to get the mic back. So yeah. <laughs> I love I love native tongues. You know, yeah, rest in peace, True Goy. Rest in peace. Yep. Shout out yeah. to Dave. Mm -hmm. Now with Miami. Now, this has been some of the gripe with the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Some felt like, hey, you're acknowledging the bigger picture, what was coming out of New York and what was coming out of LA. Then, okay, you're not talking about what came out of Cleveland, what came out of Atlanta, what came out of Miami. So a lot of people were saying, hey, you know, you locally honor, you know, what was going on in hip hop in your region. Um, have you noticed, was there anything going on in Miami as far as honoring, you know, Miami hip hop, like the contributions of Uncle Luke, DJ Khaled, Slip and Slide, and everybody that's been involved in the whole Miami hip hop scene? So I've been like bouncing back and forth uh, between North Carolina and Miami. I, I think I heard that they did something um, while I was in North Carolina. So back in um, October, where it was, um, you know, Trina and and Trick and Luke, and then they had some of the artists that, you know, from other parts of the country involved to kind of beef up the lineup a little bit, but. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think that it's impossible to put together a show that encompasses everybody from different areas of the country or, you know, that have, you know, contributed to the to the growth of this this culture. Um I think that splitting it up is is the way to go. Like all these promoters they have access to these artists. Like you just figure out like who you want and and put it together. I think that Rock the Bells Cruise might have been the best best lineup I've seen. Um, that LL and and Rock the Bells put together. I wish I was able to to hop on that cruise because it was like five or six days, and it just included everybody from every era. Um, you know, had your had artists from New Orleans, had your artists from Cali, 
had your golden era, had artists from the um, 90s and 2000s, had have some current artists. You have DJs from like your Kid Capri's and, um, you know, Grandmaster Flash on up to today. So I, I felt like they, they probably did the best job when it comes to trying to include everyone, but I just think it's a difficult task. Yeah, you definitely can't please everybody, but I thought they did a good job with all the celebrations that they've been doing this year for Hip Hop's 50th, and hope they do a Force Tour too, because if you're not seeing the, the Force Tour, then you definitely missed out. It was, I think, Haley's Comet, because what they ended up doing was they had the Root Sets, the backing band, they had Jazzy Jeff, DJ Z Triple was LL's DJ, LL himself, and then depending on which show stop you went to, a certain act was do a surprise pop-up. So when I went to see the show in Albuquerque, the surprise act was uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony. Mm -hmm. Which was really yeah, I didn't I didn't do the Force um, tour because I had seen pretty much everyone um, on, on the lineup except LL before. So I'd seen Rakim before. I'd seen EPMD, The Roots multiple times. Um, I don't think I... I think Juvenile might have been on the bill for down here. Um, but I've seen Juvie, so I just like I, I'd skip that one, and instead I bought tickets to see Tony, 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 and then Anita Baker. So, so that's why I missed that one. Uh, speaking of Tony, 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 they just wrapped the "Just Me and You" tour. What was it like seeing the original lineup together once again? I know it was their first time in a good minute that Raphael Sadiq, Timothy Christian Riley, and Dwayne Wiggins were all on stage together and it seemed like the show was very well received. Oh, it was, it was amazing. Um, you know, they, they did like two and a half hours, uh, didn't have an, have an opening act. Uh, they jumped right on in. I think the first song they, they performed was it never rains in Southern California. And then they just went through the catalog kind of chronologically in a way, of course they closed with, um, it feels good, but um, they they did everything I needed to hear, like Slow Wine and Anniversary is my favorite R&B song, the nine minute version. Uh, they did Lay Your Head on My Pillow, uh, Let's Get Down, uh, Whatever You Want. They, they did everything. And then um, to start the, the second set, Raphael dug into his solo bag. So he did that for about 20 minutes. 20, 20 to 30 minutes and then they closed out with the rest of their hits but um they still got it i hope i hope they allow, allow people to bring their phones in so they can record it because that was the disappointment i couldn't like take a picture or record any of the you know the performances but um the chemistry is still there the musicianship um they had uh, Latoya London from American Idol. She was one of the tour singers. So when he did um, Dance Tonight, she sung Don Robinson's part. Wow, which is crazy. Latoya London, like you said, mentioned, was on American Idol. And this month on Christmas Day, actually, The Color Purple, the reimagining of the Broadway version of The Color Purple is going to be in theaters. And another American Idol winner, Fantasia Barino, is reprising her role of Celie on, she did Color Purple on Broadway. And of course, you know, she's related to Casey and JoJo and I believe Anthony Hamilton, they're, they're related too as well. So it's just crazy to see how all that talent comes from that one show. And another group that we know that still got it, just announced that they're going to do a Vegas residency next year. Tickets have already sold out. Fans already brought airline tickets, merch, hotel fare, just to go see Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, Mike, Ralph, and Johnny, a.k.a. New Edition. So what's your thoughts on any finally getting a Vegas residency and them being able to show Vegas like, hey, you got to give us the Usher, the Celine Dion treatment because we going to pack out those those short run shows. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was a no-brainer. Um, 
everywhere they go. And of course, the, you know, they tour in various iterations all the time, whether it's, you know, BBD uh, by themselves or the group with just, you know, the five of them minus Bobby or all six of them. So like, we're always getting a taste of, of new addition in some shape, form or fashion. But I think the residency, I think is the, you know, Vegas is the perfect backdrop to, you know, hopefully get like three, four hours of nothing but new addition, then digging in the Bobby's bag, digging in the Johnny's bag, you know, BBD doing that thing, Ralph doing his thing, you know, just a, um, a show that, <laughs> you know, everyone leaves sweating and out, you know, losing their voices. Um, I, I just think that it was a natural, you know, destination for them. Hopefully they add more dates. I'm sure they will eventually. Probably schedules and commitments is why um, they only have a handful of dates to start off with. But, um, you know, I've seen them like three or four times myself. And, you know, it's, I'm always, <laughs> I always have money set aside for them. There's, yeah, they're definitely one of those acts that when they come to your town, save your money, you're going to get a good show. And I want to get you out of here on this. We just talked about Usher and how his Vegas residency just pretty much reset the standard and how I think Vegas are really is really going to look hard and say, hey, we, we go to Vegas too. We want to see shows and the world's going to get to see that in February because he will headline the Super Bowl halftime show. So what's your thoughts on Usher getting that coveted spot and and his Vegas residency and how it pretty much changed the way I think Vegas views Urban X? Yeah, I mean, I feel like over the last handful of years, Vegas has definitely um, become more current and skewed more to um getting this next generation because it used to always seem like a place for retired acts or those that you know was like no longer putting out music i think um like celine and mariah i think that might have started to transition in somewhat and now like you said with usher and new edition um it's it's the place to be like if I if I buy property on the West Coast, it's gonna be in Vegas because I just think that you know probably with a basketball team coming soon, you got the got the Aces there, the Raiders, you got the baseball team will be starting there in about a year or two. Yeah, the Athletics gonna be moving from uh, Oakland to Vegas. Yeah, it's just it's just a place to be. So, um, yeah, Usher. You know, what 28 29 years into the game we basically grown up with him like we've we've seen him as the the mac at 14 to having it his way at 19 to um you know making it burn and and you don't have to call to confessions and moving mountains and you know it's just been it's been a journey like if I was growing up in the sixties and seventies with Michael Jackson, you know, that that's what, what this is like, as far as, you know, this is somebody that's three or four years older than us. And we've seen him, you know, grow from a boy to a man and hopefully soon a rock and roll hall of famer. Yeah. So. He'll definitely get his rock and roll hall of fame. Just like how I feel new edition will get theirs. It's not a matter of, it's a matter of when they will they will get it because you know it's there's a process to that and there's other people that's backlog, but they'll definitely get theirs. So before we wrap this interview, bro, any shouts you want to give and tell people where they can find the Stop Looking Listen podcast. All right, man. Like like always, shout outs to you, Jarrell. You've always um been to me at the forefront of this this um content game. Um you, you've just You've been been an inspiration for for all of us. Continue to do what you do, and blessings to you and your family. Um, shout outs to the other members of the Forecast Media team. There's there's way too many to mention, but I'll just you know shout them all out. Um, check out 
stop, look, and listen every Monday on my forecast. And that's four, you know, spelled numerically, F-O-U-R-C-A-S-T.com. So check out Stop, Look, and Listen. I interview, uh, sometimes I'll get entertainers in there, you know, musicians. Sometimes I'll talk to entrepreneurs because I like to, you know, support Black-owned businesses. And sometimes I'll think, I'll talk to leaders in the thought space. Um, on Tuesdays, the good old boys with myself, D. Mario Washington, Q Kittles, and Grand Wiz. We're back after a three-year hiatus. It's it's great. I'm loving the fact that, you know, I can sit down with my fellas. We've been doing it for 14 years now and just, you know, be the male version of the view. Um, you can you can find us also on Facebook at Forecast Media or uh, Instagram, Forecast Media as well. And you can also check out the tech podcast that I produce for Postman called Breaking Changes. Season three uh, will be coming back soon, sometime in like late March, early April. So um, like I said, continue blessings and you know, check me out. Yes, sir. And you can catch this interview wherever you stream podcasts at Facebook, facebook.com slash beyond the album cover is where you want to go to stay tuned for everything related to the podcast. Thank you for everybody that's been supporting beyond the album cover. And of course, you know, we're going to have more heat coming for 2024. So ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big thank you round of applause for my brother from another, the Troy Garner from the Stop Looking Listen podcast, Forecast Media. The Troy, thank you for coming on once again, bro. As always. Beyond album cover. I'm not sure how I'm beyond album cover, but it's always great, brother. Yes, sir.